When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to episode 150 of the Marathon Running Podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk about five nutrition mistakes runners commonly make. This is the Marathon Running Podcast by Letty and Ryan from We Got The Runs. Join us in our running community for weekly content that is motivational, educational, and inspirational and let the marathon running podcast take you from the starting line to the finish line and beyond hey runners and welcome to episode 150 my name is letty my name is ryan and we are the hosts of the marathon running podcast i almost said project it is kind of a project and we bring experts onto our show where we talk about sometimes training all sorts of things we also make cool lists and we do race recaps and this is the place where you can find everything running so today's nutrition Yes, today's nutrition, and we're going to talk about, like I said, five mistakes every runner makes, and I know you don't like that because you don't like it when I say every or always, so I guess I'll rephrase, five mistakes runners make when it comes to their marathon nutrition. Better? Or five mistakes runners commonly make. So who you have to talk to today? My guest of choice, as always, when it comes to nutrition is Serena Murray RD. She's a registered dietitian and she also has her own podcast and she is also a coach when it comes to body image and all that stuff. Very interesting, um, very bright and very good tips always. So if anyone wants to get some coaching, they can chase her down. Yes. Track her down and we'll make it easy for you. (laughs) (laughs) Any guesses as to what the, before you talk to her, what the mistakes are? I mean, there's a lot of mistakes. It's kind of hard to narrow it down to five, right? But I asked her for specific mistakes for kind of the week before the marathon, which is always, nutrition is always important, but obviously before the marathon, as you know how the body works, we have to make sure that we're stored up so we don't end up hitting the wall at mile 18 to 20-ish. And so I knew she was going to talk about hydration and carb loading and that kind of stuff. So she gave us some really good and insightful information on that. Do you have any guesses, Ryan? Under eating. That's actually a really good guess. And I think that happens a lot logically because a lot of people start running because they want to lose weight. And then they're trying to combine the running with not fueling enough. So that's that's one. Good job. <laughs> That's just, just a guess. But I, I don't want to uh, spoil the rest of them. Yes, let's not. Let's hop right into that. So without any further ado, I'm now going to play my conversation with Serena. All right. So I'm here with Serena Marie RD, our registered dietitian. Thank you and welcome back. Thank you, Letty. I'm always so excited uh, to be back on the pod with you. And we love having you. And for the few new listeners that we have, perhaps you can introduce yourself again. 
Sure thing. Um, so my name is Serena. I am a runner of 21 plus years, um, a registered dietitian specializing in running nutrition for female athletes and a body image coach. I um, counsel athletes online in my pre- virtual private practice and also have a podcast called Dear Runner Bod that actually focuses more on the body image piece for run- runners. And uh, yeah, I run uh, six marriages marathons, a whole lot of half marathons. And I think the coolest part of uh, this job is that I just get to talk about food and running all day, which are like literally my favorite things in the world. (laughs) I think they're everybody's uh, favorite thing. And congratulations. I didn't know you had this new podcast. So you said it focuses on the body image of runners. Yeah, because, you know, we're going to dive today into um, five of the biggest mistakes that runners are making during race week. And what I have found in my virtual private practice is a lot of times the limiting belief for a lot of female athletes is they don't want to gain weight. They're so worried about their body image that it stops them from fueling like the athlete that they are. So my podcast, we definitely talk about nutrition, but a lot of it also we talk about those limiting beliefs, that inner critic that is kind of, um, you know, taking your self-talk and making it as such that you don't have the confidence to feel like an athlete. So today we're going to talk about what to do. And then my podcast kind of gives you those tools to help uh, change that self-talk so that you really apply what you learned today. I love it. Yeah, because a lot of the times we start running because we want to lose weight. And so it becomes this kind of fight within yourself that you're sometimes just running to lose weight. So that's great. So we'll link that in our show notes. And like you announced, we're going to do a podcast today about five mistakes you make during race week. Yeah. So, you know, I, I want to dive first into carbohydrate, carbohydrate loading. Um, but really before we even get into the five specifics, I think the first thing I want to say, Letty, is that it is so important today as you're taking notes and you're like, okay, I gotta, I gotta do this like the week of my race. And really today we're, we're focusing on the half marathon distance and longer. These, these tips and tricks, I would say mostly apply to like the 15K, the half marathon, the marathon, the ultra. Um, but I want, I want everything you learn today. I don't want you to wait till race week to apply it. It is extremely important. You are practicing all of these things you learned today during peak week, during your training cycle. So for instance, we're going to start with carbohydrate loading. I'm going to talk about how to do it, what it is, um, the pros and the cons of it. But I don't want you to wait till race week to carb load for your first race ever. I want you to carb load during you know, a peak week, during a week when you have a long run to mimic how it feels and see if you like it. Um, so essentially carb loading, I think most of us like have a basic understanding of it, but it's essentially when we are going to super saturate our muscles with sugar or glycogen. So glycogen is stored sugar in our liver and our muscles. And when we are running, we are utilizing both the sugar that we're eating during the run and the glycogen that is stored in our liver and our muscles. And the the, the theory behind uh, carb loading is that it actually super saturates that muscle with sugar so that you can um, exercise harder and longer with less perceived effort. Now, I will say the studies have mostly been done in men. So I always kind of tell my female athletes, I predominantly work with women, like there's not a whole lot of science to say this works for women and it may work better during some stages of our menstrual cycle versus others. However, Uh, It's one of those things where I think there's like a potential benefit of two to three percent performance. 
and not a whole lot of risk. So I usually tell women to practice it and implement it. I personally do carb load. Do you carb load at all, Letty? I do. And I almost feel like it happens naturally. Like right now I'm running more miles than I have in the past for those couple of weeks. And we had dinner yesterday and then here I am in the kitchen and I'm eating again. And I was telling my husband, I'm just really hungry. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I love how you're so attuned with like your hunger and your fullness cues that when your body tells you to eat more, you listen to it. And that's exactly what we should be doing as our mileage and intensity increases. We're adding more carb. So what's a little different about carb loading is essentially what we're doing is usually when I'm working with athletes, we really want to focus on this beautiful balanced plate. Our goal is to attenuate runger. So to, to feel fuller longer by making sure we have the right balance of nutrients on our plate. We have fiber, we have fat, we have protein, we have color from fruits and vegetables or beans and legumes. And when we're carb loading, I kind of joke around with my athletes that it's almost like we're eating like a toddler. You know, rather than looking for this like fabulously balanced, nutrient-rich plate, I want us to almost be eating in a way that supports us getting hungry like every hour or two. We want to be nibbling all day long on super simple carbohydrates. So things that are low in fiber, low in fat, low in protein, low in color. So graham crackers, sipping on juice or sports drink, eating Swedish fish and Starbucks, Starburst, um, and having things like um, toast with jelly and maybe having just one egg instead of like a whole bunch of eggs to, to support meeting those protein goals. Um, like bananas. We're, we're really like snacking all day long on carbs. I usually carry around a baggie of Honey Nut Cheerios and I just snack on those like the two days before my race uh, continuously. So it's really for the two days before our race, we're, we're almost eating in this toddler-like way where we're snacking constantly on really easy to digest carbohydrates rather than focusing on our usual like healthy, balanced runner's plate. That's excellent advice. And it kind of goes by saying, so you're mentioning two days before is when we do that a little bit more. And, and during a training week, when we have high mileage weekends, when would we do that the same? Yeah. So usually what I say, so, so the, the, like the con of carb loading is first of all, it's kind of annoying. Cause like you're going to notice your blood sugar is constantly dropping because we're not supporting all that carbohydrate with a balance of protein and fat. It's intentional. Like we're trying to, I, I like to almost think of it like a sponge where if you just keep the sink running and like the sponge is just getting more and more and more filled with water, we're trying to make the muscle more and more and more filled with carbohydrate. So, so um, it's annoying because you're hungry all day long. It's annoying because you're eating all day long. It's annoying because I generally feel like it's a little uncomfortable to be constantly snacking. Like I, I wouldn't say it's like my most favorite feeling in the world to be like kind of like ballooning between like feeling so hungry and then like snacking on like what feels like just like empty, like carbohydrates that are not super satisfying. Um, but but we're doing it for sports nutrition like technique, right? Like I, I always talk about how um, sports nutrition is almost like this, this way of like caring for your body, almost like brushing our teeth. Like no one's like, Ooh, like I can't wait to brush my teeth. So much fun. But like you do it because it's like, okay, it feels good to have a clean mouth. It feels good to not have cavities. Right. And so it's like, I wouldn't say I'm like, Ooh, I love carb loading and like feeling hungry all day long, but like, I like having a fast race. <laughs> um, like I like feeling good and strong during my race. Um, 
I think I lost the plot on your question. So yes, it's two days before we are snacking frequently. And then the other thing to just know is that you're going to potentially feel really bloated because when we eat more carbohydrate, we are actually super saturating that muscle with water and car carbs. Um, so as we're carbohydrate loading, we need to drink more fluid as well. And so I generally tell my athletes to practice it like the day before a long run. Like if you have like a two plus hour run during your training cycle, like maybe the day before you do a carb load, just to see how it feels, make sure like it's not too uncomfortable, just so you know what to expect come race week. No, I'm, I'm really glad that you explained that so well. Thank you so much. And with that, I know that I don't weigh myself, but I know a lot of people that do. So during those last two weeks or one week, however long your taper is, what kind of weight gain should you expect and tell yourself, obviously, to be okay with it because you're doing it for a reason? I mean, everyone's body is so different. Um, I don't think there's like a universal, like don't gain more than five pounds or like make sure you're gaining three pounds. Um, I would say everyone's different. And so I would just say like, whatever you see when you step on the scale, I mean, if I don't know why you would, but if you decided I want to step on the scale during my two-day carb load, just know if that number is higher. It's because your muscles are holding on to more water and sugar and it's temporary and you're going to burn it off during your um, your race and eventually you'll pee out all that extra water when you stop carb loading. So just kind of know that. Okay. That's awesome. All right. So then along with that, the second tip that you mentioned to us is underfueling, kind of the opposite of that. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So what I also find is during taper, like Letty just mentioned, it can be one to two weeks long, just depending on your coach, depending on your training cycle, depending on what you're training for. And I think sometimes athletes really have trouble with like, I have to earn my food by exercising. And during taper, we're obviously exercising less. We're maybe not strength training as intensely. We're doing less speed workouts. We're doing less mileage for sure. And maybe you're taking more resties and you may feel like, okay, well, because I'm not moving my body as intensely, I really need to restrict or cut out food or cut out food groups or skip the carbs on my plate. And um, if you're doing that, you're not setting yourself up for success. Kind of going back to what we were just talking about with that carbohydrate loading, we don't want to go into a race with undernourished muscle glycogen. Like we want our muscle glycogen to at least be adequate, if not super loaded with the carb load tactic. So um, we're not trying to restrict calories um, during taper week. What restricting calories can do is it actually has been correlated with um, fatiguing quicker. So feeling like tired earlier on in your workout, which obviously when we're racing, we want to feel not tired. We want to push the pace. We we want to finish strong. Um, and then also it just like sets you up for um, potentially just not like feeling your best, like not having the energy to perform on race day. So I really recommend that um, if during that taper, you know, that first week, our, our carb intake shouldn't be changing much. Maybe by the time we're getting to that second week, maybe you're eating like half a fist or a fist less carb because it's been about like, you know, a week or so of, of less activity. But then, you know, you have that carb load two days before your race where you're going to super, super duper up the carbs again. So, so really like there's not, there shouldn't be like a huge net difference in how much food we're eating um, during taper. Now, you know, if you're you're not working out, you're not having a pre-workout snack. 
that naturally is going to like cut out some energy there. You don't need it. You're not working out. Right. So like, I want you to remember, I think sometimes we think our brain needs to do all this math and like meticulously control our food intake. It's going to naturally happen. Like Letty, I, I can't remember if you said this on there or off there, but you were like, oh, I'm really hungry this week because I'm train. I'm in like peak week training. Like your body was naturally hungrier. And during taper, you'll eventually get less hungry, but you shouldn't be skipping carbs. You shouldn't be not eating a snack if you feel hungry just because you're not training as intensely. Okay. Yeah. That makes so much sense. Especially when you said that a lot of times we feel like we have to earn it and we didn't burn those calories because we didn't run those 12 miles. We might've only run four. So then that makes a difference in our heads that, you know, we didn't burn those 1200 calories, only 400. Should we really be eating as much as we did? Um, because obviously when you go from one extreme where you run a lot to less the next week, you're still going to probably feel just as hungry because it probably doesn't catch up as quickly, does it? Yeah, exactly. So, so I think, um, the way like diet culture kind of makes us think of the body is like, you know, today is Tuesday. I ran 12 miles. I have 12 miles worth of extra calories to eat today. Tomorrow is Wednesday. I don't have 12, you know, like I didn't, but like our body is not thinking like midnight comes, your metabolism shuts down, you know, you're no longer recovering from that run. Like we're dynamic, alive beings. If I run 12 miles on Tuesday, I'm still recovering Wednesday and Thursday, right? Like it usually takes about 48 hours for like all of that, um, like that, that muscle healing process to be going on, right? So let's say, you know, taper starts on Monday, Saturday, you did your long, your last long run of the training cycle. You start your taper on Monday. You're still healing from that long run. Tuesday, maybe it's a lower mileage run. It's quote unquote only four miles, but you still have to remember you have all this muscle mass and fitness and, um, increased metabolism, increased, um, like, you know, like, um, increased muscle function from doing 12 weeks of training or 10 weeks of training. We don't want all that extra muscle to die off or, or be depleted because you become catabolic because now you're restricting calories. We want to stay in a state where we're eating enough protein and calories that we're letting this muscle mass thrive and survive during the one to two week taper. Um, so yeah, like it's not this like day by day changing state. You're still, you're still in your body that has been like increased with metabolism and muscle mass during your training. Yeah. Thank you. No, that's super well explained again, the whole, that it doesn't reset at midnight with our Garmin. That's hard to think of sometimes because our Garmin does that, right? You know, the day yesterday ended at midnight and then here's a brand new day and it doesn't work like that with our bodies. All right. So let's talk about another mistake. Mistake number three that runners make race week and while they're training, not mimicking race day conditions. Yeah. Okay. So this is like one of my favorite things to work on with athletes. And sometimes I'll even have athletes just work with me like in a one-time session. Um, I call it like the race day rundown. And what I'm looking at is you've been, you know, doing your long runs on Saturday at 10 a.m. You wake up, you have your breakfast, you have your coffee, you have two hours to digest, then you go for your run. And then I talk to you and I'm like, so what's race day like? And you're like, oh, well, I'm thinking of like New York City. It's like, I got to wake up at 4 a.m. And then I got to like get on a subway and then I got to wait around for a ferry and I'm not running till 11. And I'm like, so you have not practiced like that 
um, sequence of hydrating and fueling at all, right? Because if you're waking up at four, we don't just like not eat until like eight, right? Like we have to be fueling our body consistently. Again, we don't want to go into this race in like an energy deficit. Um, especially again, we're talking about this like half marathon plus distance. So it's really important that we're just playing around and trying our best. It's not always perfect, depending on like your life and and what variables you can control. But like we're trying to practice, like, do you need to practice eating two breakfasts? Do you need to practice um like not having coffee or having coffee um twice? Or like like do we need to practice an on-the-line snack or fueling episode? So so really kind of just looking at like what is race day gonna be like in terms of like travel accessibility to food. The night before I talk about that, like, you know, oh, I'm always having like grandma's recipe the night before. Well, are you going to be able to get grandma's recipe like the night before when you're in a hotel in Chicago? Like, so, so kind of almost looking at like, what's race day going to be like? And what can we do to the best of our ability to practice race day conditions during training? So when race day comes, it's familiar to you. You feel confident that you have practiced this and it works for your body. I love it. I love it, which just woke something up in me because as you know, I'm running Boston in a couple of weeks and I do my runs at six o'clock in the morning. And I know a lot of runners do too. We don't, you know, kids and life, we don't have the time to do it midday. So what are your suggestions just independently from that Boston? If you start running at 1030 AM, do you have two breakfasts or how would you go about doing that? So you're waking, like, I would ask you, like, what time are you going to be waking up that day? So let's say you'd wake up at five, just because I know a lot of runners want to go to the bathroom and all that stuff. And you still have to take the shuttles. I think the shuttles leave around seven. So let's just to be safe, say you wake up around five or six. And then you're running at 1030. And then you're running at 1030. And in between that, you have an hour long bus ride. And then you're hanging out at Athletes Village, I guess. That's what happens at Boston. <laughs> Yeah. So for something like this, where we have like a five and a half hour, like it's almost like sounds like New York City, like where it's like you have so much time chilling and waiting for the race to start. Um, where usually I would say having something like two mini breakfasts or two largish snacks, and then also probably some kind of on the line fueling episode. So maybe I would say like at 10 a.m., I would have something really easy to digest, like a gel or a honey stinger waffle or, you know, something that you could also like technically use as like a mid-workout fuel, something like pure sugar, essentially. And then maybe I would say at like 8 a.m., and 5 a.m. or like 7, 7 to 8 a.m. and 5 a.m. I would have like smaller breakfasts. So maybe something like toast with banana and peanut butter and a drizzle of honey at 5 a.m. And then maybe like bring with me on the, the bus or to the racing village, whatever it's called, um, doing something like bringing some like pretzels and some dried fruit and drinking some sports beverage, um, trying to get 16 ounces of sports beverage. And I would say two ish hours before that race, um, so essentially what we're doing is we're looking at like fuel that is low in fat, low in protein, low in fiber. Um, a little bit in fat and, and protein is okay at this like 5 a.m., 7 a.m. fueling. But the closer we get to the race, the more we want it to just be simple carbohydrate. And then I would say, Letty, if you're able to practice almost having like, let's say you decide on doing like, you know, banana and peanut butter sandwich at 5 a.m., 
And um, the 7 a.m. thing, you're going to do like pretzels, a handful of cashews and some like raisins or something. I almost would say like, can you schedule um, some kind of like five, six, seven, like a moderate distance run, like in the afternoon sometime or like can like your hubby take the kids and like you do a later morning run on the weekend or something where you can try your best to just practice using those snacks. So even if you're like, yeah, you know what, maybe after work, I would be able to do like a six mile run. Sure, you don't actually need all these snacks before a six mile run, but it's more about just like seeing how it sits in your belly. So maybe at like two, you would have a banana and peanut butter jelly sandwich. Then maybe at like four, you'd have the pretzels, cashews and raisins. And then you'd head out for your six mile run two hours later and just make sure like that sits okay in your belly. Does that make sense? Yes, totally makes sense. And definitely going to try it. Yeah, I know um, from a lot of races that I've personally done, I've either woken up too late and you're literally at the starting line or three miles in and I feel like my belly, I'm hungry. (laughs) And I'm sure that's probably the worst thing you can do. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm like, I think the worst thing you do is like that feeling of like, I'm going to poop my pants. But like, I would say (laughs) after that, um, that's probably the worst thing you could do. It's not ideal. Right. And so here's the thing, guys, is like, uh, I don't want to make the stake so high. Like no one's going to die. Like, yeah. Does it suck to like bonk during an important race that you, that you trained hard for? Oh my God. It can feel soul crushing. I'm not dismissing that. <laughs> like I'm a runner too, but like ultimately we have other races we will run. We have other races we can re- race. We can practice this. And I've been running for 21 years. Like you know, like my race day strategy has evolved and changed so many times. Um, But would it have been nice to, you know, from day one, know, like I shouldn't be eating coconut oil in the middle of my race? Like, yeah, I wish I had known that, you know? So like, I think there's certain things that we can refine and practice, but like going into it, it is nice to just like have um, a little bit of like an understanding of how to think like a dietitian of like, okay, well, these are the foods I want to be playing around with these simple carbohydrates, a little bit in fat and protein two-ish hours before. But then as we get closer to the race, really sticking to those carbs and our sports drink. I love it. Thank you so much. No problem. All right. So moving on to another big topic, hydration. A lot of mistakes runners make is not hydrating enough. Yeah. So I think it can go both ways where some people go like balls to the wall. They're like hydrating too much. They're drinking so much water. Um, And I want to just remind you, like water is so important to hydrating, but we also need those electrolytes. We need those minerals. So the way I like to think of electrolytes, it's those things like the salt, the potassium, the, the, um, the sodium, the potassium, the calcium, the magnesium. I want you to think of it like um, an electrical switch. Like if I turn the lights on in my house, I have um, not, you know, I might be messing this up a little bit, but my very basic understanding is there's electrical wires that send an electrical impulse like to the light bulb. So the light goes on. So when you are having enough potassium, sodium, magnesium, calcium, electrolytes in your system, the electrical impulses are traveling through your body so that you can beat your heart, so that you can pump your legs and your muscles and not have pain or not feel like fatigued and achy. When we shut the lights off in our house, that electrical impulse stops flowing to the light bulb and the lights go out. And similarly, if you don't consume enough salt and potassium and calcium magnesium, 
you're it's like turning the light switch off where now all of a sudden it like is painful to breathe like your heart isn't getting that electricity to 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 beat the way it should be your muscles aren't getting the electrical impulse to to move forward um you know in a in a in a way that is pain free and not achy and and very fluid and comfortable so we want to make sure that we're also choosing sports drink um before our race and, and during our race, if we're running these long distances, because we do need those electrolytes. So um, things to just consider are practicing your sports drink of choice. I don't want you like all of a sudden race week, you start drinking Gatorade, you've never drank it before in your life. Um, I want you to make sure that if you're going to run with a sports drink during your run, then it's something you've practiced. I'm a big fan of salt tabs, taking salt sticks during a run, um, just to get a little bit of extra salt and sodium. And, and like Letty said, like carry your water bottle around with you, make sure you're drinking water in those days leading up to the race. We're not just waiting for the day before to finally start drinking. Um, but really just knowing you need to kind of do a combo of like sports drink and water. And what are your favorite sports drinks? I really like scratch labs. Um, you know, I, I think it is, I have a sensitive stomach, so that's one of the ones where, uh, the, the, the sugar solution is about three to 4%, which is really ideal for those of us with sensitive bellies. And it's not too sweet, you know, like some of these things are really, really sweet. And, um, I don't know, I like sweetness, but not, not too much. So I, I really like scratch labs personally, but I know um, noon endurance is a favorite of the athletes I work with. And a lot of people really like Gatorade as well. Um, so just whatever you prefer. Yeah. It's interesting. It's interesting too, how your body reacts to it after you drink it. For example, last weekend I ran a longer run and I just felt like putting some salt into my Gatorade and I did and it tasted excellent. And then fast forward an hour later, I'm done showering and everything. I find a bottle and I try it and I almost spit it out. It was so gross. Yeah, because your body needed salt. Letty, this is really cool. So like you have a really good, healthy relationship with your body where when your body's speaking to you, you listen to it and you honor it. And that, and I think like that's where a lot of the women I work with get stuck is like, if their body tells them something, they're like, Oh no, like I can't have too much salt. Like salt is really bad for me. It's going to give me high blood pressure rather than being like, Oh, Hey, interesting. My body's craving salt right now. There must be a reason. Let me listen to it. And I love that you just said, and then when I had gotten enough salt, I no longer, it didn't taste good anymore. So I just, I feel like that's really cool. I hope people are listening to that. And <laughs> Thank you. No, I just thought it was the weirdest thing, how, how different it tasted after the run. And then, you know, an hour later, it was just super gross. So yeah, you met your salt needs. Your body probably needed a few extra milligrams. Like, so generally we're aiming for like somewhere around like three to 700 milligrams of sodium per hour. Everyone's different. Some people are heavier or lighter sweaters, but like, let's say you had a deficit of like 500 milligrams and then you drink some salt and you made it up and then your body's like, okay, ick, like we don't need more than this. Like we're good. Right. So like your body literally is talking to you and you were listening to it, which is really, really cool. Wow, that's awesome. All right. So now we're going to go to our last uh, mistake that people make while they're racing and during race week, which is eating the wrong thing. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't want people to get like too scared about this, but what I would just say is during race week is not the week to be trying new things. Like we shouldn't be trying curry for the first time. Like, you know, really avoiding those like spicy foods or foods that are just different. Like the, you know, deep fried Oreo. You never had that before. Please don't try it two days before your race. Okay. Usually like the two days before your race, like food, um, sits in our digestive system. It takes a while to get out the other end. So those two, three days before your race, just be 
careful about not adding or eating anything weird or strange. And then the other thing is, is like we were saying before, when we're talking about carb loading, even if you're a person who decides you don't want to carb load, you just kind of want to eat your normal, regular way. Um, I would peel back the fiber content. I wouldn't have like raisin bran or any of these like cereals or breads that are super high in fiber. Um, I wouldn't have anything super fatty. I would probably minimize or avoid fried foods. You know, if you have a few French fries, not the end of the world, but like I probably wouldn't have like fried chicken sandwich with French fries. And the reason I'm saying this is just fat slows digestion. So when we eat something really fatty, it takes longer to transit through our system. And ideally, when we get to race day, we don't want things sitting in our colon, like waiting to come out the other end. We we, we don't want to have GI issues. So so yeah, I would just say like race week's not the week to try new foods. I wouldn't have anything super fatty and fried. Um, I wouldn't have anything super spicy that could be irritate, irritating to the system. And again, it's not because those foods are bad, but we just want to minimize the risk of GI issues during a run. Yeah. And and I guess that makes it super hard in some instances too. If you're traveling for a race, you don't have your environment, you don't have your kitchen. So in that case, should people bring their food? Do you travel with your own fuel when you race or how do you do it? You know, I find that, um, so, so I, like I said, I think I, like, I carry some like carby snacks with me, um, just so I don't have to like go to the grocery store and buy like Honey Nut Cheerios or my sports drink, my Scratch Labs drink that I'm sipping on. Um, But for the most part, I find if you're going out to eat, you do need to execute a little bit of willpower. I remember before Chicago, like we went to this like famous hamburger place. I can't remember what it's called. And I was like, I'm not going to order this like really fatty hamburger two days before my race because like I said, I have a sensitive belly. So like, you know, I ended up getting like grilled chicken and I don't even remember, honestly, eating some bread, like eating extra bread to try and carb load. Um, so like, yeah, it totally can be a bummer, but I find if you, if you know what to look for, you can usually find like toast, rice, plain pasta, um, like kids menu items like that you can like piece together and make your own weird little like a lower fat, lower, like not, not spicy menu out of foods off of different menus. That's something I'll do with my clients. Sometimes they'll like send me menus and I'll be like, go eat there, order this. And that helps them just figure out what to do. Interesting. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. And then I guess my last question that goes with that is, is there any wrong foods for after you've completed your race? Or is that kind of like anything goes if you, obviously there is the wrong foods to eat if you're trying to, you know, do an ultra the next weekend. But if you're just kind of like, this is my marathon and I want to celebrate to just, you know, is that the green light? <laughs> I, so, you know, again, like I don't want us thinking about needing to earn our food. So I, in the, my private practice, it's never like, oh, this is your one chance to eat pizza because like next week when you're training again, like you're, don't you dare touch pizza. It's too unhealthy. Like, so I think a lot of times my athletes don't have this experience of like, this is my one chance to go like eat my face off with pizza and beer or whatever. But that said, like you just ran a race, like you're celebrating with your friends, like go eat something delicious. Like I don't really care. Now, if we're talking about like optimizing recovery, I might be a little bit of a stickler about like, can you bring a protein shake to the finish line and just really make sure you're getting that 20 to 30 grams of protein in, especially if you take whey protein, um, can really like facilitate recovery and then like go, you know, bonkers with your friends and eat like whatever the heck you want. Um, but other than that, I mean, I'm just like, go enjoy yourself, go eat whatever. You're probably going to get enough salt, um, and carbs just from like enjoying yourself. 
but that protein piece, it's just like, if you, if you really care about your recovery, like that might be a good thing to, to consider. The protein is going to facilitate the recovery. I'm trying to get it within 30 minutes, um, can just like make a big difference and just like not feeling so dead the next day. And again, that goes back to that self-care piece where it's like maybe drinking a protein shake within 30 minutes post-marathon is not like your like your most favorite thing to do, but like think of how much better you'll feel the next day. Like it might be worth it to just like glug down like some protein shake after your race. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's perfect. Thank you so much. Um, we will put a lot of this in the show notes and then also for our listeners, how can they get in touch with you? How can they follow you if they want to hear more from you? Cause you give ac- excellent advice. Thank you. Yeah. So definitely follow me on Instagram at Serena Marie RD. Um, you can get on my wait list there for Eat Like an Athlete Bootcamp. That is my five week program that just kind of goes through what we talked about today, like building step by step, uh, a, a training, a fueling plan for your training. Um, and then I also have Food Freedom Runners Academy, which is a little bit more for that woman who's struggling with that, like, body image, that self-talk piece to allow herself to feel like an athlete. And you can find the wait list for that as well on my Instagram at Serena Marie RD. Perfect. Thank you so much, Serena. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Serena, for coming on and giving us this insightful information. We love talking with you and hope to have you on many more episodes. How did you like it, Ryan? Yeah, I think it's uh, some good information. I think uh, a lot of them have to do with also just like, you know, having a nice balance because your body probably doesn't like a lot of big changes right before you go for a race. And it's probably not the greatest idea when you're about to go run a long distance with limited bathrooms. Very true. Very true. Yeah. And that's what I like specifically about the advice that Serena has been giving us. It's always a balance. There is no right and wrong, black and white. And, and she always emphasizes that your body is dynamic, which you all also say a lot too. It's, uh, one of the examples, as you recall, was that your body doesn't reset at midnight like your Garmin does. And that kind of sticks with me after she said that. <laughs> that's true. So hopefully everyone can use that information. And if you have a marathon coming up soon, then you know what to eat. And what not to eat. (laughs) And what not to eat. Exactly. All right. So until next time. Have a good week of running. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, head to www.runningpodcast.us. And as always, have a great week of running. 